0: This week, showdown in Nova Scotia. What happens if a First Nation doesn't take the deal and tells a mining company and the provincial government, no way? I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 207, made possible with listener support become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq matters. We've been telling you a lot about the gold rush on the island of Newfoundland, where sadly, the two Mi'kmaq First Nations have got in bed with the mining company even before the environmental review is complete. Across the water, Nova Scotia is seeing its own gold rush. One mine is in operation and three more are proposed. If they went ahead, they would destroy, as we know it, one of the last remaining areas of wilderness in the province, areas vitally important to Big Maw people for traditional uses and for food, deer and fish in particular. Millbrook First Nation says it doesn't want to mine, and if necessary, they'll go to court to stop it. That raises an interesting question. In a consultation scheme in which Indigenous people are expected to ultimately give in, what happens when they don't? So the Beaver Dam mining story is important not only for Big Ma, but for all Indigenous people in Canada. We caught up with Joan Baxter, a regular contributor to the Halifax Examiner, who's been covering the proposed mine and the opposition to it. To get our bearings, we asked her about the location of the area in question.
1: Yeah, the proposed mine at Beaver Dam is roughly an hour's drive from the city of Halifax, Mm -hmm. which gives you an idea of how big the Halifax Regional Municipality or HRM, as they call it, really is after amalgamation. Um, But for people in Halifax and Dartmouth, um, it's an area where they they don't go very often. So not many people are really aware of the, the whole area down there. It's not well traveled. The eastern shore isn't. It's very close, just 30 kilometers from the operating open pit gold mine. That Atlantic Gold has been running since 2017, which by the way was, is the very first open-pit gold mine in Nova Scotia, although we're into our fourth gold rush now. So that mine is Atlantic Gold's Moose River mine is about an hour and then the Beaver Dam mine is about 30 kilometers further uh, mm. east in Nova Scotia, which is if you're heading towards Cape Breton along the eastern shore you're not right on the shore. You're a little bit inland, but that is where it is.
0: Yes. And, um, and perhaps more to the point uh, for our purposes today, uh, the proposed mine at Beaver Dam is uh, next door to a Millbrook First Nation community. They have uh, a number of reserves, one of which is at um, uh, is next door where people live all year round and other people have cottages. So uh, it's. It's uh, right right up against um, uh, this Millbrook uh, territory.
1: Absolutely. So Millbrook Reserve itself is just outside the town of Truro, uh, which is called the hub of Nova Scotia, right at the head of the Bay of Fundy. And if you go east from there and a little bit south, then you come to Beaver Dam, where Millbrook has a small reserve, uh, roughly 45 hectares, And yes, there's permanent occupation there. There are also hunting cabins. And they have a second reserve about 30 kilometers, again, away from there, south, right on the Atlantic coast near Sheet Harbor, which is at the mouth of the West River. And the West River comes down from tributaries at Beaver Dam and empties into the Atlantic ocean It's an extremely important wild salmon habitat. It's an extremely important watershed. So yes, they have the two satellite reserves and both of them are extremely important for the people of Millbrook for hunting and fishing and trapping. Mm. It's where they go to get away from the pollution um, in Truro. It's where they go to try to exercise their, their treaty rights also in the, on the crown land that adjoins. Those reserves, and that hunting and trapping really contributes to their food security, according to their own study that was just done—a well-being study that Millbrook did.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting. I see uh, in uh, your article in the Halif- Halifax Examiner uh, there is a discussion about um, the, the high cost of food, particularly for people with a history of being marginalized uh, as a result of colonialism and. Um, you know, the socioeconomic uh, status of many members of uh, Millbrook uh, First Nation. So um, uh, as you say, a a kilogram of uncooked meat purchased in a supermarket costs between nine and 13 bucks um, uh, a kilogram, whereas a mature deer, as you say, can provide 17 to 20 kilograms of cooked meat or 227 to 272 servings. So that's a very graphic uh, illustration of, of food security. Here we have a healthy source of protein that people uh, uh, harvest as part of their culture. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not a theoretical matter. It's, uh, it's eating, basically, that's at stake here for many members of Millbrook.
1: Absolutely. That well-being study is available if people want to read it on the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada's website. Um, they just have to Google search on there for Beaver Dam Goldmine. And it was authored largely by Gerald Glode, who's the consultation officer for Millbrook, whom I interviewed for that article, and also Chief Bob Glode, who emphasized the importance of the information that's in there. And it was uh, their own study that revealed how important the meat and fish that they get. From the satellite reserves and the crown land that adjoins them is to the food security and the well-being of the people of Millbrook. It's it's incredible, and that mine, um, if it were to go ahead, would rob them of access to that crown land, and the reserve itself would be really impacted. By the a gold mine is not a small thing. Uh, they blast to get the rock, the gold out of rock out of the ground, then they want to truck that ore. There will be a huge truck carrying that rock, about 31 kilometres, every few minutes, every day of the year, for five or six years, there would be a truck going from the Beaver Dam mine over to the existing mine where they would process the ore and extract the gold from it. So there will be enormous amounts of dust, which would affect also the plants that the Mi'kmaq collect there because it would coat the plants that they, many of them that they use for medicine and that they also eat. Um, it would really rob them of their, that whole area that's so important for their livelihoods.
0: Yeah. In your, in your article, you say that they'll operate from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. 350 days a year. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of trucks. That's a lot of noise, a lot of drilling and, um, and industrial activity on this, uh, on this wilderness land. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens because um, Chief uh, Glode of Millbrook says in no uncertain terms that the, the Millbrook First Nation is not interested in this gold mine. They're opposed. So it's not a matter of um, you know, negotiating for some uh, greater economic benefit. They have you know, quite de- de- definitively said no way. So it'll be interesting to see how the, um, the process uh, unfolds, because I guess uh, these things are geared to have the First Nation ultimately agree with conditions, but um, uh, it doesn't seem like we have the ingredients for that kind of uh, resolution in, this, uh, in, in the case of uh, the Beaver Dam mine.
1: I mean, this, this brings us to a really, really important point about the whole impact assessment process in Canada and in Nova Scotia, and I would say across Canada, is that the whole process seems to be geared to approving, ultimately approving mines. Um, nobody's actually consulting early enough with the First Nations communities about whether they even want a mine, whether you know, there should even be an environmental or an impact assessment process. They're not brought in until quite late, Um, and Chief Glode made it very clear when I asked him, they don't want to do this, they don't have the resources to go to court, but they're prepared to to go to court to try to defend their rights, their treaty rights, to use that land unencumbered by the noise and dust and light that a mine would bring, Um, in addition to the fact that they wouldn't be allowed to hunt and fish and trap on land that they have been using up until now, there's also a major concern that that kind of industrial activity will drive away any wildlife there, there would be there. Mm. So the question is whether the impact assessment process in Canada actually makes a provision for projects like this to be turned down. Ultimately, as Chief Glode said, they don't have veto power, but perhaps
0: they should. Yes, Now, let's talk about Atlantic Gold. Uh, Despite its name, Atlantic Gold, like many of the companies operating in Atlantic Canada, both in the uh, gold mining sector or in Newfoundland and in Nova Scotia, is an Australian company. So uh, they're probably raising money on the Australian Stock Exchange uh, as we speak uh, to uh, finance this project. Uh, So we note that. They note that we note it's another Australian outfit. Uh, plus, it has a, uh, shall we say, a checker past uh, when it comes to its environmental uh, behavior on its existing mine in uh, in Nova Scotia. <clears throat> there were 32 uh, environmental charges uh, against Atlantic Gold. And uh, I understand there have been developments um, in that uh, story, um, There are no longer 32 charges. Something has happened. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. Okay. There's quite a few questions there. I'll I'll come to the charges first. Um, Yes. In December 2020, I actually, the Halifax Examiner broke the story that the province of Nova Scotia had laid 32 environmental charges against Atlantic Gold Or is it St. Barbara, the Australian owner of Atlantic Gold, or is it the subsidiary that operates the mine Atlantic mining, Atlantic mining Nova Scotia. So gold mining companies do love to have complex corporate structures. But let's go with Atlantic Gold, which is the name under which it seems to be doing business in Nova Scotia. 32 environmental charges were laid. Um, We broke that story in December, 2020. Um, Atlantic Gold, sent their lawyer to court 10 times while they worked out a plea deal. So 10 times we called in to the court to listen and 10 times it was adjourned. Yesterday, um, which is on February the 3rd, they appeared in court. And in fact, there had been three additional charges in the meantime laid against them by the federal government under the Fisheries Act, and so all of those charges, the 32 provincial ones and three federal ones had been somehow miraculously under a lot of negotiation between the Crown, federal crown and provincial councils and the lawyer for Atlantic Gold reduced to three charges, which is surprising, I guess, in a way to many of us, how these things work. In the end, uh, they haven't been sentenced yet. That's going to happen on February the 11th. Uh, The judge said she would like to contemplate the proposals by the province and the federal crown. Atlantic gold would be fined by the province and by the federal government $5,000. So a total of $10,000 there in fines for a company that has... $94 million cash on hand over in Australia. Hmm. In addition to that, they are to pay, this is the proposal, the judge will decide, $120,000 in penalties for the provincial charges, which would be divided between the Unamagi Institute of Natural Resources in Cape Breton and the Mi'kmaq Conservation Group, which does a lot of really important conservation work in Nova Scotia. Uh, the federal penalty of $120,000 would be paid into something called an environmental damages fund. That is where it was left off in the court. And everyone's waiting to see what the sentencing is on February the 11th. Now, in his summation, the provincial Crown Counsel, Brian Cox, said that their aim was to do more than a slap on the wrist, but less than a fatal blow to this mining company. And I come back to the fact that this is St. Barbara, an international company that has a mine, a very troubled mine, I should say, in Papua New Guinea, which is currently um, hibernating because they had a rupture in their tailings pipeline that empties their tailings directly into the ocean in Papua New Guinea. And also one of their, a worker was killed in June at the mine site and has also a gold mine in Australia. So it's not a little operation. They have $94 million in cash at hand, but here for these charges, which um, are significant charges, they've only been fined $10,000.
0: Yeah, and these were charges uh, related to uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the flow of effluent into, uh, into waterways. So it's um... They, it's uh, you know a significant uh, environmental of, offense when that happens, and uh, <clears throat> it's interesting uh, that the the monies uh, are seen to be destined for um, for these two organizations. The Nova Scotia Salmon Association has uh, also expressed concern about these mines and has uh, said that they would not accept uh, uh, cut these kind of like settlement funds if uh, if directed their way. So uh, so we note we note that before we uh, go, Joan, I wanted to ask you about a couple of uh, studies you've seen about the ecological significance of these areas on the um, on this uh, shore of uh, of Nova Scotia uh, and their significance to to Mi'kmaq people. Tell us tell us about those studies.
1: Now, I'll just back up a tiny little bit because Atlantic Gold or St. Barbara actually wants to have four open pit gold mines along Nova Scotia's Eastern shore, which uh, local people call Nova Scotia's sacrifice zone because it's not just those four mines, but there are also other gold mines in the work. We're having a real gold rush here. Um, So two more, there's the the existing mine at Moose River, then they want one at Beaver Dam, then they want one that's fairly close by to Beaver Dam, Um, in the Liscombe Game Sanctuary, of all places, called 15 Mile Stream. And then another one they've proposed is at Cochrane Hill, which is right on the banks of the St. Mary's River near Sherbrooke, which has had millions of dollars pumped into it recently to try to restore the habitat for wild Atlantic salmon. These watersheds on the eastern shore are extremely important for wild Atlantic salmon, which of course we know for Mi'kmaq were a staple, yeah. extremely important. So these mines are very controversial. And that whole area, in fact, in the Eastern Shore, because the interior was not heavily settled, it hasn't been to date. So, the interior on the eastern shore is one of the few places left in the province of Nova Scotia with contiguous forests. The only real um, environmental or industrial activity that it has seen in the last few decades really has been clear cutting, which has caused a lot of harm to those watersheds, but still it's relatively intact. And I have seen studies done by on Mi'kmaq ecological knowledge that show that that region is extremely important for Mi'kmaq communities from all over for hunting, trapping and fishing. Uh, Many people actually have cabins in those remote areas. Others access them from the reserves on the North shore of Nova Scotia or from all over the province really because that is almost the only place they can still find many of the fish and uh, animals that they've relied on traditionally in their hunting activities. The south shore of Nova Scotia, the southwestern Nova Scotia, um, Kedji National Park was was created, the Toviatic Wilderness area. So that is off limits to them now. So this whole interior of the Eastern shore is extremely important to the Mi'kmaq. And yet this is exactly where the gold rush is happening. And it's not the first time that, you know, they exploited gold there historically and left behind really toxic tailings full of arsenic and mercury, which still haven't been cleaned up from the initial gold rushes. And now we've got all of these companies coming in, some Canadian, some Australian, wanting to to do open pit gold mining in this region, which would seriously harm that habitat and those watersheds for the Mi'kmaq who rely on that area so heavily for food security.
0: Joan Baxter, a regular contributor to the Halifax Examiner. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsa